0: It's been over a year now since In The Key of Q launched. In our archive, you can find over 50 interviews of queer musicians from around the world and hear their music from rap
1: unaware of my proclivities to self-sabotage
0: to country to kiss me, soul and rock. So. These episodes are available on the main feed. You can access them via the website at inthekeyofq.com or wherever you normally listen to podcasts. And if you're standing in the way this is dan here thanks for downloading this episode many thanks to our listeners who are financially supporting the podcast over at patreon.com slash in the key of q you are genuinely helping to keep the series in production and more importantly to give us space for queer voices to be heard in this episode we cover all sorts of things from how to be a model father to the needs of queer people to have safe spaces and venues we touch on the topics of queer bashing and how in the 1990s we found allies, maybe surprising allies, amongst the fury and baggy t-shirts of the grunge scene. Share your thoughts about today's episode, the pods on social media at in the key of Q or email me direct on podcast at InTheKeyOfQ.com. And if you've a moment, please do subscribe, rate and review the show on your podcast provider. All that's left is for me to say enjoy the episode.
2: there's something fun about performance, there's something fun about being a character and when you can um, marry that with some personal songs, a bit of aggression and a bit of edge, it's just such a wonderful way to
0: get that out of your system. Hello, I'm Dan Hall. When I grew up, I almost never heard pop songs where men sang about other men and it made me feel invisible. There were the occasional queer heroes like Jimmy Somerville, Mark Almond, and Andy Bell, but they were thin on the ground. But these days, there are plenty of songs where I can find my queer identity, and this podcast is all about finding and sharing this music and speaking with the musicians who create it. Music helps us feel connected, feel heard, and let us know that we are not alone on our queer journey. You're listening to In the Key of Q. This week's guest hails from Vancouver in Canada. He isn't restrained by musical styles and crosses all sorts of genres. He has thus far released six studio albums and during the COVID crisis launched a YouTube series, World Is Watching. In it, he collaborates with queer musicians from around the world. His latest single is the mid-tempo summer chill track, Standing in the Way of Love, which held the Q Review's number one spot for four impressive weeks. Welcome! to Matthew Presidente. Hey Dan, how are you doing?
1: I'm a walking down the street and it's a beautiful day sure I see a sexy boy
2: So, Dan, I'm a queer-themed piano singer-songwriter based out of here in uh, Vancouver, BC. I've been uh, doing music here since about 1999. When I was about 19 years old, I started writing and recording my first album. I've always been big on putting out albums. Like every couple years, put out an album, have a bit of a different theme, have a different look and style, as opposed to sort of blasting out singles all the time. Growing up, I had a lot of different influences, uh, everything from rock to metal to, you know, more ballady singer-songwriter kind of thing. As an independent artist, I like that I'm flexible. I've never really been tied down to a specific genre or a specific band. I've worked in duos and trios and full band kind of stuff, depending on what the project calls for, but I've always kind of taken control of it. Not... Not just because I'm a diva, but because I I have a vision for it, right? We're all influenced by uh, our teenage years, especially when it comes to music and creativity. And I was pretty lucky. I grew up in a family that was very musical and uh, loved music. And I had some pretty cool influences from early on. You know, my mom would listen to Rod Stewart, Cat Stevens, uh, Leonard Cohen, The Beatles, and I'd have these musical influences in my life from a very young age. And as I started to grow up and get into my teens in the 90s, it was grunge and rock, of course. You know, we were listening to Nirvana and Tool, and I loved Guns N' Roses and this kind of thing. But I started to discover singer songwriters as well. So Tori Amos was a big influence to me because at the time she was very cool and very uh mainstream but she played the piano and she put the piano kind of front and center in her music and as someone who grew up playing the piano i never really thought it was the the coolest instrument but i was lucky to be pretty good at it and so when i heard tori amos an artist like it like her um making the piano cool in like contemporary rock music I thought that was awesome. And it really gave me a chance to say, okay, I can do some cool stuff on the piano, stand out a little bit, be unique, and be myself. And that kind of paved the way for me to be able to come out as a queer artist and have uh, my own identity as a musician.
0: Was there a tipping point? A moment at which you said, this is going to be my identity?
2: Well, I think, Dan, there was never really a question that I was going to be a queer artist. I think the music I liked at the time, the music I was passionate about, was personal. You know, the artists I listened to and the songs I liked, they they hit you. And don't get me wrong, I love pop music, but I find there's some of it that can be just a little too surface for me. I needed something that's powerful, impactful and emotional to connect with. So for me, coming out of the closet around 19 years old was exactly the same time I started to release my music. And I'd been writing for years, but it's kind of like writing in a diary, you know? You're writing this stuff that you're just not ready to share with people yet. It's maybe too personal or you feel too vulnerable expressing it. So, you know, coming out of the closet and saying, hey i'm a, a gay man, and I want to sing my songs to the world. <laughs> for me, it wasn't so much who I was, but you know sharing who I was with people. It's about, you know, I could be a private person sometimes, and uh, it's not easy to always let it all hang out. you know what I mean. So I think for me the struggle was being able to share that side of myself with people but once I was ready to do it and having music as a tool to do this to express yourself in a cool way um, in a way that I knew I was good at I was confident in that you know at the time maybe not being confident in my sexuality or my personality or who I was I knew I could kick ass when it came to playing music so if I could show myself through doing that, I had a lot of confidence, and that made the journey a lot easier.
1: I feel all right tonight, so baby, take me high, I'm feeling good, come along, Brad, I want to tell them this shit, I'm tired of all the bullshit, and I'm tired of all the stress, I'm tired of all the people trying to get me all depressed, I'm tired of your words out of your commands. I'm gonna do it my way. So people raise your hands. If you wanna follow me, then you've got to come along.
2: You know, my dad was a really cool guy. He, um, he grew up, he's, he was a pilot and liked to hunt and like to fish, you know, he was a manly guy, but he was also very well-traveled, very sensitive and very artistic. So... Well, we always got along very well growing up. I knew I was kind of different and not into the same things he was into. But where we would always bond would be over music. So when I did come out at 19 and I had written all these songs, I was finally ready to put out an album, right? And I was recording from home, very basic stuff, like literally, Dan, on the family computer, okay, using. Some early like DAW software that I don't think even exists anymore. But, anyways, I figured it sounds
0: like my equivalent of doing it on a four track. Yeah.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, a four track would have been way cooler, but I was trying to, you know, find a sound and it it worked out. It's um, looking back on the album, I really love the songs. But, anyways, I'm getting off the topic. This, um, (laughs) we, I'd been working on this album and it was a really cool way to connect with my dad at a time when I kind of just come out of the closet and I knew we had, you know, he was supportive of the whole thing, but quiet about it. So this was a way I could kind of share with him some of, you know, my personal stories and he connected over the music. He thought the songs were really cool and he had his favorites and least favorites. But what I liked is when I was finishing the recording, he was also pretty good at tech. So he would, you know, help me and he'd listen to it and say, oh, you got to bring out the vocals in this part or you've got to tweak this. Like he would listen to the mix and help me. And it was really cool. So growing up where I did in Tawasin, we decided to do a CD release concert, which was very, very exciting. And um, there was a local theater and we did it there. We put together a big show. I was excited. They had a grand piano so I could perform the show like live on a real piano instead of on my keyboard it was a a big deal and we spent a few months promoting it. And I just remember, you know, my dad going to like all the local pubs where he would go and drink with his pilot buddies and like putting up posters for my show and be like, everybody has to come to this show. And, you know, between my family and my friends, um, we did that show um, to release the CD and had about 150 people in the crowd, which was huge for me, you know, as a young guy just coming out, just starting to play music. It was a very special show and something I remember very much and I remember uh, my dad's up there in the sound booth the whole time making sure uh, it sounded great. And, you know, through the years since then, um, as I've played many different shows, lots of much bigger shows and lots of much smaller ones too, you know, my family has been uh, supportive and they're along for the whole ride. I don't specifically try to write songs about queer culture I write songs about my life and my experiences and my observations so naturally that's going to involve queer culture so whether that's you know hanging out in gay neighborhoods or gay cities or being a part of the nightlife or dating or anything like that I think um, it comes from a different perspective as you know, a gay man, and for me, um, you know, when I came out in 1999, it was um, it was different than it is now. I find that young people who are my who are the age that I was then now um, it it's a very different, uh, very different community. In a lot of ways, it's um, much more open and much more accepting. There's more understanding around. Um, Different genders and different types of dating. It's it's not so binary. I still think there's still room for bars where you know men can pick up men, or where queer people can go enjoy the kind of music they want, or where we can go enjoy drag performance. In the same way that I think it's important for music venues to exist in places where we can go play music. The one thing I found really interesting as a musician, sometimes I feel like. In Vancouver over the years, I've existed in two different kind of neighborhoods. You know, I'd have fun, go out to the gay bars with my friends, but playing music, there wasn't always a lot of gay bars that favored live music. So I would play in the local music scene. And then sometimes I'd worry, well, maybe they won't like my queer music. And I think, Dan, that's sort of why I've been able to straddle different um, genres a bit too. because you know, I want to play my queer music, but I want to play it at the Roxy here in Vancouver, the big rock venue. And I'm like, oh God, I wonder if if they're going to like it. And I go there and uh, my sister said to me, no, you go like, put on your leather pants, sing like your gayest song, Rainbow Reaction, and they're going to love it. And they did. So I think now we're living in a time where even though There is more acceptance. I think it's important still to have spaces where you wanna go hear rock music, you can go hear it. You wanna go dance to Madonna and hang out with the drag queens, you can go do that. And they can bleed over and blend in a little bit, but I think it's still important to have different kinds of spaces. In 2017, I put out the Every Single Sin album, and that's when I really tried to toy around with that like sex-positive look and attitude, and it it was inspired a little bit by the fetish scene. I'd been down to San Francisco to the Folsom Street Fair, and what I loved about that scene was um, it wasn't just sex-positive, it was... Open minded in such a way that you'd go to this Folsom Street Fair and anyone can be whoever they want. And there was no pressure. It didn't have the pressure of even going to like a normal gay nightclub, in my opinion. Like you could go to this Folsom Street Fair, you can wear whatever you want, you could have whatever type of body you have, and nobody is going to judge you. And I loved that. And I felt toying with uh, some of those looks, you know, a little bit of the leather and a little bit of uh, that harder edge was very sexy and very empowering. My music is personal, but I try to leave it a little bit up to the listeners interpretation. And because I feel people can connect with it more that way, when it doesn't get too, too specific. Um, but that's a whole challenge as a songwriter you know (laughs) you want to uh, be specific and be personal but still be relatable as well but growing up i a lot of the music i listened to would be um very obscure and I, i liked music like that i liked music that um the melody and the vibe and the lyrics mixing together um makes sense to you in a very personal way. On one of your episodes, one of your uh, artists was speaking about Madonna and how Madonna was that role model for them. Yeah,
0: that was probably Matt Fischel in episode one.
2: Yeah. And um, her use this type of imagery in her music videos and be a pioneer for the gay culture. And artists like that have definitely helped me too and had. Um, and, you know, it's mostly the women, mostly these female artists have been so like inspiring for me as a, a gay kid growing up.
1: What makes you want to be like her? What glorifies the dismal dream? What makes you want to wear those shoes in the snow and rain? No trucks permitted in this lane. To your face as you just sit and waste away we'll go through the wells of time we'll fall
2: and what I've noticed in the last year and a half is I have really expanded my network of musicians and artists but specifically queer ones because there are so many resources on Instagram and Facebook, where we've connected and shared each other's music. And I think it's a very interesting time because um, with so many people stuck at home and having a little more spare time on their hands, um, they got creative. And they've, I think you're starting to notice a lot of artists who, like myself, who've been doing it for a long time, getting creative with the way they're doing it. And then you're seeing lots of new artists pop up. And I think that really needs to be nurtured. Like, I recognize some of these people are just bored and they're like, "Ah, oh, I'm good at the computer. Let's make a song. And there's others who it's something they've probably wanted to do for a long time, but haven't had the time to do it. So it's a time when musicians and artists have had a chance to experiment and share and get some feedback from a broader community outside of their specific city. Like the whole joke I make about this... Uh, last year like i've played more cities from my living room than i've ever played in my entire life and um you know a lot of this is networking you know with people like yourself like when am i going to do an interview with someone from south london um except a pandemic has kind of brought us together and we've um, crossed paths through networking online
0: Once our listeners have had their fill of all your back catalogue, listening to it many, many times. <laughs> Who else do you think they should be listening to out in the queer world? My friend in Berlin, Tara C. Taylor,
2: is one of my favorite artists. And I've been working with her for a long time. She's someone that I've collaborated with. And she identifies as a queer artist. Um, as a, she's the B. She's the B in LGBTQ. And um her music is fabulous. And she's just got that 80s like new wave sound. She's a little bit Annie Lennox. She's a little bit the cure. And she's just like amazing. She's got such a look and such a vibe. I also um I really like this Z Machine out of LA. Have you heard him? No, I haven't. He's, Z Machine. Yeah, he's really cool. He's been um doing a lot through the pandemic and he's What I like about him is he's very pop and he's a very good singer, um, but he's got this like cool rock edge that's totally legit. Like I find sometimes people will do the rock edge as sort of a look, but he's also got the chops to back it up. Like the guy can shred on the guitar. And I think it's really amazing because he'll do this like pop song and sing some like little hook that is like, Mariah Carey quality. Okay. But then he'll like step to the guitar and just rip out some amazing solo and like a face melter, like my friend Brad would say.
0: A face melter. That's a face melting guitar solo.
2: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Where you're just like, oh my God. So um and the other artist I really appreciate is my friend Pedwell, who's here in the city. Um he doesn't identify as a queer artist, but I think he is like the greatest ally ever and i think for someone like me it's been so important to have people like him who um i don't want to say can like legitimize your music but we've we've helped each other a lot by playing together over the years he's played with me in queer venues at pride festivals and i've played with him at big rock venues and um you know places where i wouldn't n- at first feel comfortable going into on my own. Like, we help each other, being allies, being able to support each other and um, pump each other up a little bit has been wonderful to have over the years. a few albums ago. I put out a record called This City's Colors and I really wanted to write about what was happening um, around Pride that year. It was a funny year in Vancouver because we had the Olympics in 2010 and there was a lot of mixed feelings in the city about what was happening with the Olympics where money was being spent and when we had such an issue in our city with... um, homeless people with drug addiction and um then all of a sudden coming up to pride you start having all these gay bashings happening around town and it was a funny thing like i'd read articles at the time where people were were not feeling safe and not feeling safe in the city and um they didn't want to walk around at night or they didn't want to hit up Davy street which is our sort of little gayborhood right and um I'm thinking to myself, I haven't had these experiences. I do feel safe. Um, <clears throat> and then one day, we played a pride event, me and uh, a few friends of mine, Tara C. Taylor, was there with me that day. And we witnessed a gay bashing in person in front of our eyes. And um, it was literally a skinhead guy went and like beat the crap out of these uh, two queer kids. We We found out later that the... Skinhead guy had come through the Pride event and started ripping down flags and these two had gone and sort of followed him and shouted at him and we happened to be there at the moment where he turned around and beat them up. Anyways, they're covered in blood. They come running into the place where we were sitting on a patio having our lunch and uh, it was just very shocking, very uh, upsetting to see. It was a time I had to ask myself like, do I feel safe? Like, where do I sit in this community? Am I kind of being naive just because I've had a nice experience so far that this kind of thing doesn't exist? Or am I just being, (laughs) coming at it with a balanced approach? So that whole album, that whole time I was really thinking about safety, um, uh, safety of queer people and where you draw the line between visibility and safety. It's not like I didn't think it wasn't happening, but I didn't have that urgency. It wasn't as um, impactful to me because until it's something you experience, um, you can't fully understand it. I do have a bit of a rock edge, but I also can really ham it up on stage sometimes too. Okay, I like to be a bit goofy, I can wear crazy outfits that I would never wear walking down the street, not because I'm ashamed of it, but because they're just not practical. (laughs) Like glitter, sequins, leather, like all this stuff. There's something fun about performance. There's something fun about being a character. And when you can um, marry that with some personal songs, a bit of aggression and a bit of edge, it's just such a wonderful way to get that out of your system and express yourself and look at a lot of artists Kurt Cobain Nirvana is a perfect example that music was aggressive and edgy and you'd listen to him speak in an interview he's very quiet very shy person when you're an angry teenager and you know nothing is right in the world and you've got this kind of music
0: um, that allows you to express yourself like it's very powerful And also talking of Kurt Cobain, Matt Fischel pointed out to us in our first episode that Nirvana once said, you can't be a fan of ours and be homophobic.
2: Yeah, I love that. I love that about him. And I love that about that whole scene. Growing up in Vancouver, we're very, very close to Seattle and Portland, which is just across the border. So I went to Seattle many times. I felt really connected to that. I went to Portland, hung out on Sleater Kinney Road where, you know, one of my favorite bands, Sleater-Kinney, is named after that road. And that, that 90s rock scene was so, so much about people's rights and people being themselves. I find like the metalheads, the punks, the grunge musicians, they are some of the most open-minded and
0: um, loving people. I totally agree. I grew up in North London near a place called Camden Town. Oh, I know Camden. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, it was famous for having lots of goths when I grew up yeah. there in the early 80s and 90s. And they were absolutely lovely. And curiously, they were the first spaces I felt I could be safely queer. Whereas I didn't really feel that three miles north in the nice suburb of Finchley where I grew up. Totally. Because they were the weirdos. They were the kind of outcasts, right?
2: So... For someone being a little different, it didn't faze them.
0: So Matthew, could you tell us what your 15-year-old self would think of you now? What what you're doing with your life, what kind of man you've become? Well,
2: I think my 15-year-old self would be pretty proud. I remember sitting there like when I was 15 thinking, um, you know, listening to all this music and enjoying all these artists. And I started going to concerts at a very early age too. I think I was 14 or 15 when I went to Lollapalooza and watched Hole and Sonic Youth and some of my favorite bands and like just mesmerized by the act of performance and being on stage. And that's something that I always wanted to do. That's been more important to me than anything else doing music. Um, It wasn't necessarily a grand success that I craved or um, making a bunch of money. Um, It was about being able to make the music I wanted to make and perform it for people Who were listening and enjoying it and you know if that's the goal i feel like i have been very successful with that i've been able to play so many gigs over the years and perform my songs for so many different audiences and i find that a really fulfilling experience and i hope that um, it's not just for me that the audience enjoys it too and i do feel confident that I can get on stage and put on a great show and that the audiences are going to have a good time whether whether it's their type of music or not I think that's something important to note too I know that the kind of music I make depending on you know what era it is it might not always be for everybody but I think being able to put on an engaging show and engaging the audience um supersedes that and people will enjoy it no matter what. So I think my 15-year-old self, looking uh, looking at me now, would be pretty pleased at all the cool stuff I've got to do over the years, and um, the fact that I've been
0: able to make uh, all this music the way I want to make it. And Matthew, before we close up the episode, could you tell us where people could find you? Absolutely,
2: Dan. Um, Best place is Spotify or Apple Music or any of the streaming platforms, of course. Quick and easy way to find my music. I've got all my albums up there except for the first one and a few uh, singles. You can also go to my webpage, page, That's going to give a list of everywhere I'll be performing virtually and in person, as well as a bunch of other fun stuff. And you can hear the first album on that web page. Um, Also, I've been uh, doing my show on YouTube, The World is Watching, which is a wonderful collaborative show with uh, many different queer artists and allies alike. And I currently have a show every two weeks on the Unicorns.live platform as well out of Kelowna, BC. And that's a fun one. It's called More Keys. We take requests, we perform live. It's a bit of piano bar, a bit of a
0: special guest showcase. So check it out. Wonderful. And to anyone listening to this, Presidente is spelt like President, but with an E on the end. Because it's classy. That's right. (laughs) Classy. Presidente. For our audience, Matthew, who don't have the benefit of knowing your catalogue, and who are looking for an easy route to get into it, what would you suggest as a good gateway track to introduce them into the world and music of Matthew Presidente?
2: Well, I would say um, one of my newer tracks, Standing in the Way of Love. Um, I'm really proud of this song. It I still haven't it's still not on an album yet. It's I've just put it out as a single and it's gonna go on the next album. But the reason I like it so much is because I think it's got a bit of my style to it. Um it's got a bit of a rock edge, even though it's more mellow than a lot of my music. But I think it's a accessible song. I think it's a song that people can relate to. I think it's got a simple, but um, Sweet message, um, basically don't let your um, don't let your demons get in the way. Like especially when you're growing up, don't let uh, your bad habits uh, block you from being open and letting people into your life and letting love into your life. Whether that's a relationship or a friendship, um, it's a song about growing up. It's a song about finding yourself and being open to. Being loved, and I think that's universal, and can speak to um, queer people or any any person. It doesn't matter how you identify. I think it's uh, it's a universal message, and I really love the song. And I think if people like it, that can lead them to uh, you know down the rabbit hole with the catalog a little bit. I'd recommend uh, with the boys, which is my. Most recent full album, and that's a full band re recordings of some of my older songs. So a little bit of a best of, but totally re recorded in a really like fun rocking way. And then, you know, go from there. But start with Standing in the Way of Love. It's a favorite.
1: So you feel like you've been so and it's hard to see how little you grow when the habits always cool the same.
0: Matthew, it's been smashing to have you on as a guest on this episode of In the Key of Q, all the way from Vancouver. And thank you so much for sharing with us your stories and your music. Oh, it's thank you so much for having me, Dan. It's been amazing. I
2: mean, it was a long drive, but I made it. <laughs>
0: exactly. It was worth it.
2: It was worth it for sure.
0: Many thanks for listening to this episode with Matthew Presidente and do remember to listen to him on the usual streaming platforms. And remember this exclusive content over at patreon.com slash in the key of Q. There you can join other listeners by supporting the show's production costs for as little as five US dollars a month. Tell me what you think of today's episode with Matthew the pods on social media at in the key of Q or email me direct on podcast at in the key of q.com. and rate and review the show on your podcast provider it really helps. Our theme tune is by Paul Lee at UnstoppableMonsters.com and our publicist is Paul Smith at PaulWSmith at gmail.com. Many thanks to Karjen Canther and Murray Lang for their support in making this episode. The show is presented and produced by me, Dan Hall, and is made at PUP Media Consultancy. I'll see you next Tuesday.